Arteta! What a And there won't be points in Burnley's house this Christmas time. The only thing they're getting is sent down. Ashley Barnes was turning blue in his post-match interview. Sean Dyche is Tony Pulis after all. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Merry Christmas! Ho, ho, ho! May all the Sean Dyches be miserable through all the land. I hope that Ashley Barnes is somewhere getting two-footed by the wait staff at a restaurant. I hope that whole vicious pack of snide foully cunts is off being miserable and wind up getting relegated at the end of the season. And here to celebrate that eventuality with me is Paul. You can find him on Twitter at Posing in My Pants. Hello, Paz. Chestnuts roasting on an open fire, Jack... Uh, yeah, Cork? Jack Frost nipping at your nose. Uh, Jack Cork nipping at your ankles. Your heels. Yeah. John um, Cross nipping. No, no. Anyway, uh, Paul, Paul thank, thank you for that. Uh, Clive's on Twitter, yeah, Clive yeah. P.A.F.C. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. We, uh, we weren't intending to have Clive on, but we accidentally called him and he answered, so now he's on the podcast. He's supposed to be spending this time with his family, but uh, I heard them in the background saying, we can keep him, so we're doing it. Um, he's finally found a home. Welcome home, they Clive. Love, they, they love me, really, yeah, yeah, yeah. As, they, as they started eating and drinking and kicked me out of my chair. So, I, yeah, I'm here, right? I think the word is breadwinner. I think that's, I think that's what you, you get. I'm, I yeah. know my job. I yeah, know my job. Exactly. Put that food, uh, uh, we put food on your family is what George W. Bush once said. Uh, anyway, moving aside, uh, let's talk about the uh, hilarity that was the Arsenal-Burnley match. And, uh, Clive, because I have no idea how long you'll be here, I'll start with you. Um, how funny. He'll be here for the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. Keep telling you. He'll be here long after Paul and I are gone. He'll just be talking into the microphone. Once I start, it's difficult for me to start. Right? So, um, yeah. especially, especially when I haven't got a strong point. No, all right. No, I, I, you know, if you missed the last episode of the podcast, uh, Clive got very, very heated about something that he has no strong perspective on, which I thought was quite interesting. Um, let's let's talk about Sean Dyche real quick. How worried should we be about the children? Like, should we be very worried about the children? I mean, are Arsenal a threat to the youth of tomorrow? Bless him. I mean, that, I'll tell you what, a couple of uh, different decisions, that could be the England manager quite easily, right? So um, it's quite interesting when you see a team or see a, a guy that did really well previous years and has done really well to get Burnley where they are, but then suddenly he's in a bit of trouble and then you default to your <laughs> to your real personality. Mm-hmm. And he is he has turned into the, rather than the ginger Mourinho, he's the ginger Tony Pulis now, isn't he? Right? Yep. So, um, and they are Stoke City. And until and now people are going to notice that they're Stoke City. And I remember watching the uh, they beat they just lost to Spurs in the last minute. And I was pretty gutted, but I'm telling you, I don't like this team. <laughs> I I don't like this team. The, what they were doing, especially particularly in aerial challenges, um, particularly in those duels, they were doing these knees in the back, knees in the side, elbows in the head, the sort of ones they could say, "Look, I needed to get leverage off the ground." but I'm going to leave something on you. And it was just so obvious what was happening from a football's point of view. And the referee, this is where referees get it's a stick because it's a tough job, right? But sometimes you can think to yourself, you know what, you haven't, you haven't played. You don't know what they're doing. They're doing this on purpose and they're making it a debate and you're allowing them to do it. And um, I think it turned a game that could have been nice into an ugly game. Yeah, well, and I do think that, you know, the lack of calls and the lack of protection begets diving. And I'm going to put diving in quotes a little bit because, you know, I do think we saw this in another match. When was it recently where we had the three yellow cards for diving or whatever it was? Um what what match was that? Was that Huddersfield? Where, yes. you know, there was just the rotational tactical fouling. And, and if the referee doesn't give you that protection, you're going to start going down more. You're going to start trying to get these guys' cards because you can't just stand up and get kicked constantly. Now, we did give a little bit back, which I really appreciated. But, Paul, just a, a final thought about the, the way this was played. I mean, I thought Barnes should have been off before he ever had the chance to score. I thought Cork, was Cork the one who, who went right through the ankle? Of, was it Ganduzi? Who almost yeah. got his ankle broken. I mean, I yeah. thought that could have been a straight red, maybe a bit harsh. Barnes definitely should have been off, right? I mean, this yeah. this should never have been a game to begin with. 
Yeah, but yeah, they, they play the game and the referee got played. Kevin Friend, wasn't it? Yes. Um, and yeah, uh, look, the plus side was uh, it, we made it clear that we had the lads to back it up. So, I mean, we, it's great to see soccer. It, it, the second half turned into the game we didn't want to play, but in the dressing room afterwards, they must have been fucking pumped because they backed those bastards up physically. Uh, you, one more opportunity for Kalasinac to show nobody fucks with him. Socrates is the man. You got Licksteiner on the pitch. Uh, you know, Chak has no slouch. And then you just need the little weaselly guy to kick shit off. You know, it might have been Jack Wiltshire in the past. I'm not sure if it's Terreira Ganduzi. Maybe neither of them has quite the profile. But Ganduzi was quite good at kind of getting in and stirring it up. Now, he might have got himself into a little trouble. And maybe it's not ideal. Maybe he doesn't have the perfect profile. But you just need... The, you, it's like going out for a drink with your mates. You just need the one guy to kick it off and for your step, your mates to step in behind you. And uh, maybe in a way we haven't for a few seasons. Um, this wasn't the second half we wanted. And it, it played to their advantage in terms of football. But I think it played to us in the long term in terms of psychology. Because you come out of the, this knowing you're all fighting for each other. So, again like we did against Spurs. So I yeah. think it really adds something to us. No, I, I totally agree with that. I, look, I, I know we got to talk about Ozone Aubameyang because there are two key figures mm-hmm. of this game. But, Clive, I'd like to give you an opportunity to talk about something else for a moment. Um, mm. And that is Kolasinac. This is mm. a player who, you know, we've we've kind of been confused by. We're we, getting we've, worried, weren't we? Well, we, you know, we've, yeah. we've worried that he wasn't an Arsenal player, that he couldn't defend, that, you know, maybe his lack of availability is one of the abilities we really need him to display. And, you know, he's suddenly become seemingly the fly in the ointment. You know, the the, the guy that makes the, what is it, Deus, Deus Six Machina or whatever, De, the ghost in the machine, he is he is really the most creative player. I don't know. You just fucking Deus go with Machina. It. De, fine, Deus, fine. Deus, you say Deus Machina, I say Deus, 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 Deus ah, You know, Deus I just fumble out some words, whatever, it's fine. Um, but seriously, Clive, I mean... Is it is it an overstatement to suggest that Kolasinac has suddenly become, especially in the absence of Bellerin, really the entire key to our attack, building properly and and creating opportunities? Yeah, we're we're a massively left sided biased attacking team, aren't we? And um, again, another reason why I I don't dislike the back three, and I think it sets him free. When you're playing a weaker team at home, you can play a four because he he plays a role exactly the same way. And they they added a extra centre midfielder, which I thought was quite smart in this game because Burnley are a very tall Anglo-Saxon team with big yeomen stomping around the pitch. And I thought it was really good to have the three of Gwendozi, Shaka, and Elneny. I, I would have gone with knuckle dragon cunts, but you, you know, tomato, yeah. tomato. Yeah. <laughs> like, we had our taller three centre mid team, which was which is a perfect game for the the aerial bombardment they were going to suffer and um and getting the ball to Colosinic he can he can stay a bit high cuz we got the cover behind him and yeah it's the timing of his runs and the commitment of his runs when he makes his runs he commits 100% and and you you almost have to give it to him and I mean, on on the first goal, which I'm sure you're going to touch on, the, the touchback he did was just beautiful, and it was meant. And uh, yeah, he's a very interesting player. He's got feet that don't belong on that body. That makes sense. <laughs> he's know? a fucking force in nature, though, isn't he? I, I mean, mm-hmm. on insurance policies, he's probably listed with like hurricanes and fucking earthquakes. <laughs> yeah, he, he's he's got this. He's one of those players that transmits to the crowd quite nice and trans, transmits to yeah. the screen. When, but he, he also does it in a negative way as well. When he's not quite at it or not fit. We can, we can all see it. And when he's at it, you can't take your eyes off him because he just looks so dominant. So he's one of those players that naturally divides. And sometimes, as you go for the flow of a season, players do that to you. They they, they take you from, he's got to be sold. We need two left backs to, we can't do without him. You know, and, you know, a few months ago, I'll give another one earlier, Granit Xhaka, for example, a few weeks ago, months ago, for many people, he's got to go. How's he got a contract? And he has a bit of time at the, at the back of the defence. And suddenly we've got everybody saying, let's get him back into midfield. Why do we keep moving him? It's kind and of ironic, a- isn't it? I mean, we move him to a position that he's not very good at. But what we really see is how much we miss the contribution that we're not no longer getting building the play. I actually thought that we needed 
to play stick with a back four yesterday or well whenever the game was it was the day we played the game for god's sakes um and and had kept Shaq in midfield because i thought that the story of the second half was our inability to control the ball at all and maintain any possession hey before before clive moves on i just want to compliment him on some of the best backtracking i've seen in a long time that guy has covered his tracks like i haven't seen since that cowboy movie where the indians are like brushing the path behind a bush he's covered himself from all those podcasts where he slagged off chaka and kalasanach in the past beautiful <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Clive, clive covered his tracks look I, I, I never i never slagged off chaka no Kalasinic, <laughs> i definitely slagged off him in fact chaka for example i think he is the true captain of this team. And I bet you, if you mm. spoke to the coach, which is the player you most rely on, it's definitely Shaka. He plays every week in centre midfield when, when he's allowed to. When there's a problem to fix at the back, he plays there. I actually thought, I know Colosinic was more spectacular, but just behind him in man of the match stakes for me was, was Shaka because I thought he was excellent. I thought he was physical. I, I, his pass, his passes were excellent. He was helping us keep the ball at the back. He was directing people. I tell you, mate, he, Not he is our false ten. Or, yeah, he is he our. He's a true captain of this team. That's what. That's well, what's developing this season, and, in my opinion. And I'll tell you what, it's probably best to give him the armband because the captain gets a little more leeway with the referees, and he could probably use it because he's a tiny bit <laughs> mental. I will say one of my favorite Colosinach moments of the of the match was there was some argy bargy, as you uh, Brits like to say, and. <laughs> Kolasinac walks up to one of the guys who's trying to act all hard, like walks right up to him, and immediately the whole thing turns into, oh, we're all friends. There's no fight here. I have no quarrel with you, kind sir. He is a scary-looking motherfucker. And I love it. I, you know, I love that he's this weird contradiction of being this huge, hulking, intimidating figure that looks like he'd be you know, at the center of Burnley's defense when, in fact, he's a twinkle-toed, blindingly quick going forward wingback. It's bizarre. And I'd and- love to hear that he has tiny feet, like size sevens or something like that. Cause like, because uh, of said, the massive I mean, he- penis envy you have. Uh- yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, so, sure. so moving on. Look, I, I think we we should talk about Mesodosal here, and Paul, because mm. we're, we're not going to mm. go very long today. Um, no. As we've repeatedly suggested, we're eleven minutes in. We've hardly mentioned anything yet. Um, <laughs> so this this is the Mesodosal conundrum in a way yeah. because I, I mean he had moments of sheer brilliance in this match, none greater than the pre assist, if you will, for mm-hmm. Kolasinac to chip back to Aubameyang to brilliantly Fuck. put into the corner. I don't, you know, I. It's it's not the vision to see it. It's the weight of it and sort of threading it past other other players. And also, you know, the, and also the, the vision to see it. The vision to see it, but also not you know. And maybe this is partly what's wrong with Mesodoso, but the not the instinct to just say, "Well, fuck it, I'm in the box. I'm going to take a shot." You know, but but to be looking for the better option. Um, mm-hmm. In the second half, when we struggled to maintain possession. I thought we needed a little more from Ozil in terms of getting on the ball and keeping the mm-hmm. ball for us. We went we went through a period of about 20 minutes where Leno kicked long. We didn't win the first ball. They'd come back at us, and we were never able to, to build from the back or maintain any possession. So, I mean, Paul, for, for the people that struggle with Ozil, and mm-hmm. I don't, I think he's supremely talented, but I think this match is in a way a little bit of mm-hmm. a, a, a measuring stick for where you st- or a Rorschach test for, for how you feel about Ozil because he provided those moments of brilliance but maybe could have been more involved in helping Arsenal keep the ball and win the ball in the second half. So how do you tie those two things together? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's... Uh, uh, I, I got into a two-hour argument with somebody after the match you? on that Never. exact no. topic. <laughs> and uh, it, it was actually longer than two hours. He was in South Africa, so he, the time difference was working against us. This thing went on for fucking ever. And then I went, because I was basically arguing... You can mute him on said. Twitter, at Posnan in my pants. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, I thought he had a really good first half, for obvious reasons. And the second half, I thought he was too quiet. And so... And then we extrapolated that across the season and his career at Arsenal and blah, blah, blah. And it goes, everybody knows the argument back and forward. And I was arguing, he's too quiet when when he's quiet and you can't live with that. And then I went back and watched it and I I screwed myself over because actually in the second half, he's pretty busy. Um, I mean, we don't have much of the ball. If you look at our passing stats, everybody's right down. His supply... Supply line's gone, so he doesn't have Chaka. He's playing left back. As soon as as uh, Chaka goes into that left centre back position, Ozil's supply is is cut off. Uh, the manager chooses to take him off 
sorry, not to take him off, to take uh, Lacazette off uh, and keep him on, which is kind of interesting, but I guess overall makes sense. And then Ozil has a job for much of the se- well, for late in the second half and, and another kind of job earlier in the second half to kind of cover position. And he mostly does that in a very Ozil way. He kind of he covers the right uh, wing back side, if you want to call it that, <clears throat> um, forward and back, uh, as you would expect Ozil to, the same way he covers... Uh, aerial duels he kind of he's there <laughs> he puts in a bit of an effort you know when he's blocking a shot it's not in the face not in the face um, and so he played that kind of a game but he, he was where he was supposed to be uh, given it 85 kind of early Theo defending but still defending and covering the space and when I looked at I mean I basically when I watched it the second time I basically just watched Ozil because of this argument I don't know. I can't fault him too much. He was actually pretty good in the second half. Of course, he was there for the the uh, for the goals. Um, but beyond that, he was actually. If you were to go and watch him in the second half, I don't really know what you'd expect more from him or expect more generally. He might have got in. Do you a think couple maybe it's the shape? I mean, do you think it, the the fact of being in a back three and having one less body in midfield meant? You know, we yeah. couldn't build from the back. We were going long, and we just never created periods of possession, and that was more a system issue. Yeah, and okay. I also think. Let's move on. <laughs> I, well, I'll just say one more thing. I think he was better. He's certainly better than I thought he was in the second half. You know, I, I couldn't fault him too much because he's not another player. He's not going to get those tackles in. Um, but it, it, it's the, the, what I really blame him for is he puts us in this situation that if he just looked like he was doing more if he just threw himself in a grenade every now and then we'd shut up about maybe not all his performances but probably two-thirds of them well i'll I'll give you an example there was a through ball played down the left wing that he was on the chase for and it wound up you know being shepherded out of play by the by one of their center backs and i kind of thought yeah i kind of thought he was favorite to get there and so on first viewing i was like ozil quit on that and that's the kind of thing where your biases are maybe creeping in. You're like, you know what? He quit on. But then I watched the replay and I realized yep. he classic. couldn't get there. But it's a classic example because he didn't sprint it through and like yeah. slide for it when he was never getting there. You look that's at it and you're exactly kind of like. That's exactly what I mean about his second half. I think, I think he had like 10 of those incidents where he wasn't wrong. He, he, he wasn't he getting there. He was not going to win yeah, it. He wasn't yeah. going to win it. I will tell you that maybe, maybe he's lost a half step though because Ozil used to have a surprising burst to him. And I just, I thought he still looked favored in that, in that in that race and let's get Clive back in here and by the way Clive I don't Clive I don't I don't think he was going to get there I I was using it more as an example of how you know the crowd is influenced by his sort of slump of the shoulders and failure to chase after it even though he wasn't going to get there but sure I mean give me your take on on the Ozil game overall just kind of wind your way through a, a an explanation of it so all, uh, all, all performances. Quickly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I can't promise that, right? No, all I know. performances are uh, they all they all to live within the context of the game. So the first half of the game, we were more in control. We had them push back. Urzel was just receiving the ball in the middle to last third, with everything in front of him, and he was he could just combine ball pass, move it around, move people around, pre-assist on the goal, one nil. We we butcher a couple of other opportunities, and we go in at halftime uh, with the game increasingly becoming physical. In the second half, Burnley go back to front, looking for the second ball. Everything's on the first ball. So they want to rattle us on the first ball and refill with Cork and Barnes around them, the main centre forward, and then Wood, and basically refill that space, just like Palace did a couple of years ago. Win the second ball. And we had to get to that second ball. So we started to slow down. Hence why Onani came off. Had to bring Torreira on because we were losing the second ball. We were losing races. Now, where Ozil could have gone from a seven, six and a half, seven out of ten to a nine out of ten was that we butchered three or four transitions in the second half. Right. So, And a lot of that was down to Lacazette, actually. I thought some of his decisions and the retention were just off. And the second goal is an example of one transition that worked, but there were three or four others. And the game was all about how can we carry it through the third? Let's fight with them. Let's move them around because they're big and lumpy. So let's not throw it in there directly because they're going to win the ball and they're going to 
kick it forward into areas where we don't want to be. So let's just move them around at 2-0. Let's just keep them moving. Let's work them. Eventually, they'll do something silly, slow down, and we'll get the third goal. But what happened is that they got increasingly physical. The referee allowed to get physical. That's not Ozil's game. He's waiting for the breakaways. They didn't really happen because our, our regain-retain skill set at the edge of the area was pretty average. They were getting free kicks. They were getting in. Eventually, they scored. So we have to continue. What I liked was we continued moving them around. We didn't panic and go into broken field play. We moved them around. When they got deep, we then broke on them. And I think if a couple of those transitions had worked out, we'd have probably looking at well, he, he needed. He sort of was included in the third goal, but we were looking at a couple of assists and a three-four-one victory, right? Yeah. So, um, mm-hmm. You know, four, sorry, four-five-one victory. Because I think he, I actually think that was there for us, but we were just a little bit inaccurate. So you're never going to get the same what we got in the first half when we had complete control and, and a tight diamond until the injuries happen. You're never going to get the same. I think the diamond really suits him. You know, four diamond two works for him. It works for a lot of people because we can get all our favourites on there. Or or three five two also works. But um, yeah, I thought he was okay. I thought he he faded a little bit, but that was a decent seven out of ten Mesut Ozil performance. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's uh, let's talk about another player who sometimes gets criticised for doing nothing except the most important thing, which is scoring goals, and that's Pierre Emerick Aubameyang. Um, we have an article on our website written by Oscar Wood at Riona Wall on Twitter um, about Aubameyang that you should definitely read. But, Paul, I mean, I don't know what else this guy has to do for people to stop, you know, having divided opinions about him. I mean, it's another two goals. I thought the first one was taken brilliantly. Even if you want to say he shinned it, I still think he did exactly what he intended to do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I th- that, that was no that was no accident. No, no, no accident. I, I think it's I think it was it's a, a skillful scuff if you want to call it that. But he knew what he was doing. Oh, all right, so give me give me your thoughts on Obama in quickly. Look, he's fucking great. He's he's a tap in merchant. He's a brilliant, brilliant tap in merchant, and some of his tap ins will be from thirty yards out. Um, <laughs> But, I mean, he has a gift from the gods for for that. It, it's not just his athleticism and his pace. It's he knows when. He knows where the spaces are. He, look, he's fucking great. Here, Here's the problem people will have with him. He's not a complete striker by any means. Um, there'll be a lot of... Uh, and so you come away from it thinking, yes, he left food on the table. He left chances. He could have done a bit... But he's not Aguero. He's not Kane. He's not, I don't know. But neither are they Aubameyang. He's going to get and score those chances. His completion rate is 25%, basically, uh, as you would expect from a, a uh, the world's best tap-in merchant. But fucking don't knock it. Give him the chance to get into the box on the end of a cutback, and you will fucking clean up the league. So uh, this was another game of that. Uh, we got it. We didn't actually create a huge amount of stuff, but we created enough for him to get two. I thought, uh, conversely, Lacazette also had a really good game. Uh, contrast in what they provide. If, if we can find ways to play the two up front and Mesodozel, I mean, that's kind of a big ask for everybody behind them. That leaves uh, seven open field players to cover their asses. Uh, when we're struggling with defense and potentially midfield with uh, yellow card issues, etc. But if we can provide enough support to them and have those three up front, they could have a lot of fun. I thought Lacazette was really good, even if if there were issues in his game. But I, I think Aubameyang's superb. Just get him the cutbacks. And unfortunately, if we're losing Mkhitaryan, if Bellerin's out, uh, Kalasinac seems to be our go-to guy, so... How do you get him upfield enough to do the cutbacks? Maybe that pushes us towards three at the back for a while to give him the support he needs. Uh, and hopefully we'll get to talk. I know it's a short one today, but hopefully we get to talk about our friend Ainsley Maitland-Niles, who finally had a, started giving us a glimpse of what we were hoping to see maybe over the last few games from him. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, Clive, do you think, I mean, 
how much longer does he have to just keep scoring before you'll start to warm up to Aubameyang or still not your cup of tea? Huh? <laughs> yeah, I don't rate him, actually. I, I know. Mm-hmm. No, no, seriously, though. I mean, this is... I don't is... think he's lethal enough. I don't, I don't think he's quite quick enough. <laughs> he, no, I think... He's uh, special. He's really special. Like, it's so weird to uh, me. This guy just keeps... He's, he's, he leads the league in goals right now. Yes, he's had misses, but, like, this is the Cavani syndrome, okay? And if you want to do something funny, go to understat.com. Look up Edison Cavani. There'll be a radar in the middle. Then it'll say player to compare to. Put in Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, and their radar looks almost identical. And I think this happens with players whose main skill is getting a lot of great chances. That means yeah, they're going to miss. Yeah, that's not that funny, Elliot, i got to say. That's well, I, not but, that funny. Okay, fair point. Uh, I, I, I wouldn't actually, know. I actually, I actually think, obviously, we, the currency we, jo- we just strikers on is goals. But for me, what's impressed me, his work rate out the box is really improving. And he's taking people for runs down both sides. He's still he's still there in the middle when you need him to be. He's working all channels across the, run, the front area. So his way of leading the line is different to, to Lacazette. Lacazette's like, I'm, here's your target playing to me. I'm going to do a touch-touch move around the corner. So, but Clive, that was me. that was why I thought it was interesting that he, uh, the manager didn't pull Ozil off and use uh, Aubameyang on the left and and Lacazette through the right uh, through the middle. Yeah, uh, it was yeah. an interesting choice, wasn't it, that he decided well, uh, to take Ozil's work rate effectively over Aubameyang's uh, down the left because he could have had Aubameyang on the left and kept Lacazette through the middle when he pulled. Uh, it. I think. Yeah, I think. Um, I, I think the manager's trying to manage this player. And mm. I think he, he he had Shaka there in, in the team. He could have made Shaka captain quite easily. Mm. But he made Ozil captain. Uh-huh. So not only did he brought him back, he's brought him back as captain. So I'm trying to trust you. If I take you off, that's not showing trust. Mm-hmm. Right? So He couldn't take so him off. Ch- yeah, I agree. I totally agree with that. Yep. And he chose to keep on. So he is trying to manage this player. He's trying to wake him up. He's trying to say, this is what I want. And now you've done it. I'm going to trust you. So he's provided a key contribution. He had a number of transition contributions in the second half that other players butchered. And he's saying, you know what? I'm going to now trust you to be that second forward and and break down the side, which I thought he'd done really, really well. So, yeah, I I don't see it as an issue. I I actually, you know, I'm... I like Lacazette, but I actually think he's not quite at it at the moment. There were there was opportunities to take shots that he turned down. Um, he's still a very good player, by the way, right? And I, he's I think great. We, he had the one you. frustrating ball where it came to him in the box. It was just kind of behind him too much. He tried to yeah. you know pull it under control and swivel on it and couldn't. And it was just too far there. behind yep. him. Yep. So he's just a goal away. And by the way, a few weeks ago, Aubameyang was that player, not quite there. We sort of half-gamed it, played him through it. Elliot was going mad. He's now through it. To, to be fair, leading. I'm still going mad, just about other stuff. <laughs> yeah, right. But he's now a, a bit sharper. Lacazette's now not quite there, but he's coming back. What, what do you make of the strop he threw when he got subbed off? Yeah, I, listen, I, I read what Ian Wright said, and, and Ian Wright's, you know, obviously knows a thing or two about scoring goals. Mm. And he knows that late in games when when those players that you've just worked their backsides off to make them tired. And then the last 15 minutes when the goals are there, the manager takes you off and you haven't scored yet. And it's like, no. And I think he turned around. If you noticed it, he wasn't so mad at the manager. He was having an argument with El Nenny. <laughs> yes. so, and, I, and I watched the second half today again. Clive, and- it, Clive, it's like when you're making love to a beautiful woman, right? And you've put in one hell of a performance and you're just getting to the point where you're really giving her the pleasure that you and she has sought so much. And the next thing your parents knock on the second bedroom door and you have to like scrap the whole, you know, he got yanked basically. Clive, don't, don't, don't worry. I'll, I'll edit that out in post. Keep going. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Not quite Christmas yet, Paul. I think, yeah, El, El, El Nenny and him were having an argument. So there must be a situation in the match where he thought he could have played him in or done something. Well, and if you think Elneny can play you in, you haven't been watching that player. Oh, but okay. Come on now, come on now. And, um, and so, I think Elneny said, cheer up, you grumpy bastard. Let him finish, like Paul. For fuck's sake, stop interrupting the guy. God. I'm knocking on his bedroom uh, My wife says, listen to the podcast, and she says, isn't it great they interrupt you just like I do? It is. <laughs> I thought, yes, I thought. My whole life keeps following me around. Otherwise, how would we know when you were done. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
So yeah, I just felt he was uh, a little bit frustrated with something that happened in the game. So what? Right, move on. Uh, th- these two, <laughs> the only thing I worry about with these two is that they don't do a Mikatarian and, and break their foot and have six weeks out, right? Because that's mm-hmm. we can't afford that with these two. There is no replacement. There is no way that we okay. have not got that third striker of the right level. So as long as they stay fit and healthy, that's that's the most important. Well, that thing. comes to a talking point then, and and it's right back to the rotation issue with Emery. And I have to tell you, Paul, when it was two nil Arsenal, I did not see them getting back in it, which is maybe a little silly given the fact that our defense is like tissue paper. But he takes off the one player we can afford to run right into the ground and brings on the one guy we really kind of need to be as fresh as possible with Anfield looming. That was a, sh- a head-scratcher for me. Now, as it turns out, ironically, we give up a goal, and we need Torreira's defending, although I actually didn't think this was a great Torreira performance overall. I mean, he made some very important uh, tackles and interceptions late. But it took, him, it took him 10, 15 minutes to get yes, tackled. Yes, it but did. Once he did it, he was there. He never stopped. But, but the point is, at that point in the game, at 2-0 against a weaker team at the Emirates, were you scratching your head at the the one expendable player, the only guy in the whole pitch who we can afford to like have fall into pieces on the pitch? We take him off for arguably our most important piece. Well, yeah. Plus, he's got his yellow card issue. Um, it would have been fine if he picked two, up another. He would have he would have yeah. missed Brighton, which would have been okay. But yeah, keep going. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and Anfield just after, so like that's that's a bit of a fucking issue. Um, and the other thing is, you know. The explanation for why he wasn't playing was he'd picked up, I think the word flu was used, but basically a cold, flu, um, which tells you, you know, you don't pick up the flu if your system isn't run down, um, which says, goes back to our point of how how hard are we running this guy? So he's we've been using him a little too hard and we used him again in this game when we were 2-0 up. Um, now, I I kind of understand it from a protecting three points, and it's a key part of the season where you grab every three points you can. But, yeah, I, I think we've got our rot- rotation slightly. I don't want to get Clive too fired up uh, because, I'm, I'm, I'm about oh, Jesus to I'm Christ, about to what have we done? All right, let, let's, <laughs> let's, just, let's, just let him, let's just let him yeah. go. Let him no, go. Clive, yeah, fire away. The, the problem is we haven't got anything else like him. That's the problem. Yeah. If you look at El Nenny, look at Shaka, and you look at... Um, what about pragmatism? Gw- I mean, can't you try to make your way through half half of a half with a 2-0 lead okay. at home to Burnley with, with, without having to bring Torreira on for El Nenny? I mean, okay. is that so too much two, to ask for? It's 2-1 it's two, it's in the stadium, right? They're going... Well, it was 2-0, wasn't it? It was 2-0, two, yes. 2-0 two when he brings, yeah, on, sorry, brings Torreira on for El Nenny. But we, we, we were starting to lose that game. We were definitely starting to lose that game. And... I was thinking, crikey, we need to do something in centre midfield because we were just not getting the second balls enough. And they were getting closer and closer to, to getting a chance on goal. I knew because they were so rubbish around the edge of the area that they weren't working like goalkeeper hard enough. Eventually, they got a chance presented to them, basically because um, Torreira didn't quite go in tough enough on the tackle. We didn't quite clear our lines three or four times, and they score. And I'm thinking, I understand him coming on. I actually predicted it. Because I could see the fact we weren't getting to the second ball, creating no transitions, and they were just missing our midfield out. And so we were under a little bit of problems there. So I saw the reason why he brought him on. But then I looked around that bench. I thought, who else can we bring on the pitch that's quick across the ground in midfield, that covers the ground quickly and sharply to get to the point of the collision and the duel? And we haven't got anybody else. And, and that's why he's... Our most, you know, one of our most important players at the moment. That's why he's so influential to our new transition style. And so, management, single point of failure. We need someone else like him so we can rotate with him. Guendouzi is not a Torreira rotation when you're under a bit of pressure in the centre of the pitch. Neither is Shaka. They are both partners to somebody like him. I mean, Ramsey can run around. He could have brought Ramsey on and had him. I mean, not that Ramsey's less important person. Well, he is less important, let's be honest. But, yeah. I mean, could, couldn't he have dropped him in a little deeper? Maybe put Ramsey on for a Ganduzi and, and added... But again, he, without criticizing, he's, his skill is what where to go once we win it. His yeah. skill isn't winning it. Once we win it, he's poof, gone. Right, gone into the area where he needs to be to to 
benefit us going forward and transitioning, which is quite similar to Mesut Ozil's skills, except for they're just slightly different stylistically. Ozil can carry it, whereas Ramsey does it off the ball. And so we haven't got someone that sits in there but wins those races. The only one potentially that could do it, and I'm not sure yet, is Maitland-Niles, but he was doing another job on, on the right-hand side. So that's the player we haven't got in this squad. And that's why he's either on the bench or starting every single game. And I think he's critical to us. So if you're looking for the summer, we need somebody else that's faster across the ground in that middle of the pitch. And preferably somebody who can carry the ball from, from deep areas. And I think we will. Uh, El Nenny and Guendouzi are so similar that one will have to go and then we'll buy somebody with that much speedier attribute in the middle of the pitch. Yeah, I mean, maybe so, Paul. Look, look, let's clean up this match a little bit and just the last little hanging fruit here. So, I mean, they only got one goal, but really their their plan just seemed to be long balls, and we didn't live with it very well. Um, you know, it looks like they took a page out of Spurs' book when, you know, they scored their second, uh, what was it, um, in the cup game where it was a long ball from the keeper and then another ball down to Deli Alley, and it was all too easy, and they, they tried to follow that blueprint. Nacho Monreal comes off. And I'm starting to wonder if maybe it's just over for him. Clive mentioned on a previous podcast, he's getting old before our eyes. I mean, I don't think he was very good before he came off, and he was really bad after he came off. Um, that's a joke, by the way. I, so, I mean, Clive, Paul, do you... Uh, first of all, I mean, just really quickly, is it is it possible that maybe Nacho Monreal might be at the absolute end of his rope? And what on earth do we do with our with our defense going forward? Yeah, I'm not willing to speculate on that because it's kind of binary, right? He either is or he isn't, and I guess we'll find out. I mean, even uh, when he was on, he, yeah. he is not the player he was. It it It's changed. That it, that little step of pace he never really had is kind of gone. Now he's, <laughs> he's not great. Yeah, I mean, if he's going to be the third center back in a, uh, a three-of-the-back formation, I think he, he would be good enough if he stays fit. Um, I think he's reasonably good as a wing back, but that's where the lack of pace is going to hurt you because from one side or the other, we need cutbacks. And if it's not going to be Hector, then it has to be the other side. I guess we have Kolasinac to cover that eventuality. But when you think of the number of dependencies we we have in terms of injuries, because if you're relying on Kolasinac for fitness to give you your your left wing attack, then we got issues up that chain chain there and yeah i mean i would be if my if our season depends on monreal i'm really worried uh, have i written him all, uh, have i seen stuff in his actual performances that make me think he's done no but uh the number of injuries he's he's beginning to pile up here are concerning it's like he gets a game or two and and then there's a niggle um good that he got out early hopefully and he'll be back in a game or two or three or whatever. But yeah, that, that's concerning. We don't have a lot of cover over that side. And But maybe Maitland-Niles will start to kick in a little bit and he'll get some games on the left-hand side. We don't truly have a full-back on the left-hand side is the problem. We really have two wing-backs who can... Uh, one of whom can kind of play the, the wing-back position on the left-hand side and Kolasinac. So yeah, we we've got uh, when it comes to the January window, we've got a number of vulnerabilities that need to be addressed. We need a center back January first, like yeah, literally yeah. January first. Yep. I mean, Clive, we we've got Brighton. And we up. need a wide pay- player probably, and we need well, yeah, with Mkhitaryan gone. I mean, especially yeah. look if Ramsey leaves in January, which I don't see how you can even let him go at this point. You're almost better losing the money and keeping him. If Ramsey goes and Mkhitaryan's gone for six weeks, and we have no center backs, I mean. Oh boy! You might as well just change the formation, come up with something different. Clive, what uh, what should we do at center at center of defense for Brighton? And is it crucial that we kind of use it as an audition for Anfield? Because the thing that scares me, look, I think we can beat Liverpool. We saw that at home, but going to Anfield with the defensive options we have right now, you could suffer the kind of loss that has repercussions beyond that day. You know, you talk about building a winning culture. It, you know. You can build a losing culture really quick with the wrong kind of results. So, yeah. what do we do in central defense? You know, certainly for well, Brighton and with one eye towards towards um, uh, Anfield. We 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 potentially could have a situation where we do have Koscielny, Mustafi, and Socrates, right? So that could be our back three for Anfield with. 
Colasini can maybe make the Niles as as a back five. That's that's not too bad, you know. But the the problem is we've got the game before, and, and we're so fragile, and we've got we've got um, maybe even Monreal may play in that game. He may not be able to play in Brighton, but he may be able to play in the um, in the Liverpool game. So Monreal concerns me a lot. I did, you know, when we did our season prediction, he said to me, which is a player I think is going to fall off the cliff. And I did say Monreal. Um, I just, I saw the edges of him last year and I think he, he's an issue. He's a, he's a problem. So, um, but it, what can we do? We, we are just making do at the moment and it's, it's affecting how also, we're seeing everything else. Don't we have to get Shaq back in midfield? Sorry, Clive, just to make your wife happy there. Um, don't, <laughs> Don't we have to get Shaq? I mean, that's the thing that scares me. Is I, yeah, I feel well, like losing well, we him. Do. And El Nenny? But we we yeah, we we're not. Shaq is a better defender than El Nenny, and the situation is, mm. he, the manager would love to get him into midfield. He's not doing it just to hurt well, no, us. No, I, of course no, Clive. I didn't mean it that way. What I'm saying is, I think what we lose in midfield by not having him there is more significant than what we gain by having him in central defense instead of... So, for example, if you said to me, which would I rather have? Shaq in midfield and Elneny in central defense or Shaq in midfield and Medley in central defense or Shaq in central defense and one of the midfield options we have now? I think Shaq is such an important part of how we progress play and maintain possession and build you know, and, and handle what is ostensibly a two-man midfield that I think you have to downgrade if needed your central defensive option to get Shaka back in midfield, make the whole thing work more. You know, the one thing I think Arsene Wenger was good at, to his credit, is he understood when you were firefighting, when you, when you had injury crisis, things like that, keep as many players as possible in their natural position. And actually, where wow. I felt critical of him the most was, you know, if you remember the last few days of Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain at the club and stuff, when he was playing like Bellerin at left wing back and Ox at right wing back and doing crazy stuff. I, I think the idea now should be to maintain natural positions for as many players as possible. That. That yeah. would be my first. I, think, I, Sorry, I, I, I just think it's. I just think it's challenging at the moment. Monreal can't play ten minutes without breaking down. Koscielny hasn't. He hasn't played for seven months, and and we got a situation with Mustafi, who's been, that hamstring's been coming, and he, he's finally gone. He potentially could be back. We all know what's happened to Holding. So yeah, it's just been a problem. It's just been a problem getting those defenders out there, and we were starting to improve defensively. We scored the second most goals, but our defensive numbers are are not great. So for us, I think it's we got to say, you know what? Sometimes I always say you use a formation to get you through the phase of the season, and I quite you like do not. Well, You've never I, said that. I always say it to I always say it to my to my fellow <laughs> coaches at football. I say I always say I say it to myself then, right? I always say to myself <laughs> you, you use a phase. And sometimes when you when you're lacking in a little bit of defensive confidence, the diamond's a great formation because everything's close. When you look in front, you can see no spaces in front of you, your centre backs and your midfielders. They, they just cover the game by distances and their only job is to expand the diamond when the other team switches diagonals, right? So the diamond is a sort of formation that can take you through defensive sort of insecurity. When you feel really confident again, they can go back to more expansive positional 3-5-2 type shape where you cover the wide areas with positional play and exit on the sides and go from there. So I think, you know, we're going to Brighton, another team that's going to go front to back and second ball. If you have a diamond, you have three tight midfielders running back for the second ball. Brighton rested Glenn Murray, who's a similar tight striker to Wood. He's a goal-scoring forward that likes the first ball, buys fouls, gets them up the pitch, set pieces, big centre-halves. That's how they play, right? Lots of crosses. What do we don't want? We don't want lots of crosses, big centre-halves getting into our box, putting our tiny goalkeeper under pressure. So I think it's a first ball, second ball game, four diamond two, and, you know, people want to see Aaron Ramsey. Well, I, I think he'll start. And I think he'll probably start Anfield as well. But he's been rotated out, right? So I think he'll come in for the, the tough away games because I think he's got the right work rate for those games. And I think he'll complement um, Torreira and Shaq in, in, that, in that central midfield with Ozil potentially just ahead. And Guendouzi, in my opinion, should sit and off the bench with Iwobi off the bench and we have the two guys up front. And I think that sort of makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, I um I don't disagree with any of that because you've said it and you are a far wiser man than myself. Um, Even I say it to myself on occasions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Totally true. Um, by by the way, I you know I think Brighton will be out without one of their cent- central defenders who got red carded in their last yeah, match. Yeah, Louis Dunk. Love player. it. Love it when the uh, the players at the smaller teams just sort of oops accidentally pick up red card bans for the boxing there was, day there was a big rumor that if Wenger was staying he was signing for Arsenal by the way Louis Dunk. interesting well I'll tell you something I um I I have thought that Burnley were more interested in trying to get boxing day off than win, win this match early on but Paul I mean how would how would you address the defense for the next game and with an eye towards Anfield and maybe in like two minutes or less I've no fucking clue I feel so sorry for Emery because he comes into this big club to be the manager, you know, the coach of this big club, and it's not even, you know, Christmas, and he's down to one central defender, Socrates. Yeah. That's it. One. Yeah. Holding's done for the season. Who, who, out. who was fantastic, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, so, Socrates is We have not properly credited him. Yeah, and, and doing oh, everything oh. that's needed to to hold together the most ramshackle back line. But seriously, Paul, what's your uh, what's your solution for the back, for the defense? Maybe we just go with like a 1-5-5 five, five formation <laughs> or something? Well, uh, or one, five, our weakness at centre-back says we're playing three at the back in my book. Uh, we might do something very similar in terms of uh, a, a three at the back, uh, three in midfield, Ozil and two strikers. That would be kind of fun. Um, Socrates is going to be our central uh, defender. Um, Licksteiner, uh, remi- do, do reassure me, he hasn't been in- injured since I last oh. thought about this, but Licksteiner on the right. Um as I think I said very early in the season, I think he'll make an excellent fucking centre-back. In the same way Monreal came in and learned that position, Steiner has more attributes for that position than Monreal ever had. Um, so he's my hot tip for, ooh, I, I, we accidentally found a centre-back. Um, so I think he'll play on the right. I don't know what we do on the left, which means Chaka. Because um, I can't see Socrates and Licksteiner as the two centre backs, so I think we're going to be three at the back. Yeah. Oof. Well, that. I mean, no. it's. It allows. You see, what that definitely allows us to do is get uh, 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 Kalasinac, um way up the pitch for cutbacks FC, uh, which is currently our only way of attacking, because we have no other way of getting width. And we don't come through the middle. So I think it's a uh, not to spoil Tim Stillman's video preview, but this is the only way we can play. See, I, I think what I'd like him to do. You're wrong. Look, we don't Sorry. have three center backs. We don't. We don't even have two. But what we did early in the season to cut down attacks through the middle is not back three. We didn't start with a back three this season. What we did to try to cut down our vulnerabilities down the middle was that we packed the middle of the pitch. And we played this very tight box in midfield that that cut out um, central spaces and attacks through central spaces. And I, I just think, look, we need Shaka in midfield. So go with Socrates and Licksteiner at center back. Go with... Kolasinac, I get it. He's not really a fullback, but needs must. And Maitland Niles on the other side, and then pack the the back line. You know, Shaka, Torreira, Ramsey, Ozil, Aubameyang, Lacazette. Go with something like that. I realize it's very narrow. I realize it lacks width, but it protects the spine. It protects central spaces from vulnerability. And then you just kind of hope you can make do out on the wings. And that's you know that's kind of your best four bet. Two. Uh, you know, oh, four, I four hope diamond, we have yeah, a tight box. Two. Yeah, look, this team, this team, even that is. If we can upgrade the personnel for Diamond Two suits his team so much, right? So, um, so yeah, it's just gotta, we just gotta, we gotta get there. The challenge there, to Clive, to be fair, is if you go that way, you can't really afford to bomb your fullbacks all the way up the pitch, and that means oh. Kolasinac has to be a little more pinned back, which is, you know, that that cuts off yeah, your creative. You options. get on, you get them on the, you get them on the seesaw, right? One yeah. goes, one stays back, yeah. and that's 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 the way it goes. So, I think Maitland Niles is not someone that runs through lines proactively off the ball. He's more of an underlapper, like Lauren used to be. He's sort of a midfielder that plays right back, so he's all like short passes, Ooh. right? So I'm not comparing the um, the uh, the player because obviously Lauren has done fantastic and one of the best right backs we've ever had but he was a centre midfielder that actually went to right back and you can tell by the way he played it's all wall passes short midfielder pipe passes to get into the into those wide areas whereas Colosinic is far more there's a line I'm running through it now give me the ball now 
type player and so it's, it's much more penetrative so maintenance i'll stand there give me a pass i can keep it back to you back to you back to you work the space in we go and so he's a slightly different style so i don't see any reason why they should be both high up the pitch at the same time yeah like bellerin has got a similar style yeah. to um to color scenic um he can do both if i would just be fair to him he can combine and he can run through lines and sometimes when you have that running power, all you want to do is get it off quickly. Right? And um, so, yeah, so um, I think let's see how Maitland-Niles does, you know, second second or third premiership start for the season. So he's going to be playing. I think Bellerin's done till the new year. So, um, yeah, should be good. Yeah, great. <laughs> um, no advertisement for you today. Just uh, just straight 50 minutes of spit and fire. Interruptions. Do you- Humor, Do you want me to talk about jokes? ladies' underwear? You, you've already done your part, man. We're good. <laughs> really? Um, yeah. Let's do. By the way, just one last quick thought. Um, Awobi gets the winner. Great for him. Needs some end product. Hopefully, lifts mm. him. No celebration, really. It was weird. I mean, do we think he's just so down on himself at this point that he's like, "Thank fuck, I finally scored." No. Like any reading into anything about that? Yeah. You are. What are you reading into it? I'm reading nothing. I think it was fine. I think okay. it was game done. I yeah, think that's, that's fair enough. Yeah, well, good enough. All right, so we'll leave it there. Look, it's um, it's a Boxing Day fixture against Brighton, and then it's Anfield, so it's going to be an interesting time. Tim will be over on Patreon with a preview video for the Brighton game. Um, we'll be back with a pod after that, uh, and it's just all happening right now. If you uh, if you are of you know a, a, a good age and you play center back. Wouldn't kill you to direct message the club, just saying. In any event, um, my name's Alex Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Give us a five-star review. Write nasty things about us in the comments. Paul, thank you. He's on pos- on Twitter at Pants. Yeah, no need to watch Tim's video preview. <laughs> uh, I pretty much gave Paul, you the... Paul, the, sorry. That, that's on Patreon. We want we want people to go to Patreon. Shit. <laughs> You've blown it again. Uh, <laughs> Clive's on Twitter at Clive PAFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. From all of us at Arsenal Vision... Uh, Arsenal Vision post-match podcast and contributors like Hada Aziz and Laszlo Fulop and uh, Oscar Wood and uh, Tim, obviously, and Scott. Uh, we wish you a very, very Merry Christmas if you are celebrating Christmas. And even if you're not, we wish you a very happy and prosperous time. We hope that Come. you uh, are are well and healthy and get to spend some time with family and drink too much and eat too much and get everything you want, including three points for the Arsenal. Clive, uh, trying to interrupt me. I'm not letting it happen, but go ahead, Clive. Final final thought? <laughs> no, I just wanted to say, right, um, generally we, tr- we try as a, as a group to interact with everyone that interacts with us on Twitter. And um, i got to say we are very, very lucky to have the listeners that we have. Fuck them, 99.9% of them are all really, really thoughtful when they respond, and I think we're very lucky. You're only saying Given that because they, like, you're only saying that they like you. Bastard. You should see Given what they the say about me. When, you, when, they put yourself, <laughs> when you put yourself out there, they can say anything just to upset anybody, but they don't, right? and I think, it's, I, think we're, I think we're very now we are. So if you are listening to this it. right now, we love you. If you're signed up on Patreon, we love you, whether you're not or you are. Uh, we do appreciate you. It is, it is a delight to be able to come and do this after every match with these intelligent and... Uh, quite understanding individuals who have to put up with me uh and thank you dear listener for putting up with me and all of us and as i said a very very merry christmas to you and yours very happy and healthy holiday and uh we will talk to you after arsenal 10 right now